This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Lisa Bentley spent 20 years competing as a professional athlete, although early in her career she kept secret that she suffered from the rare lung disease cystic fibrosis. Despite her medical condition, Bentley won 11 Ironman races, 11 half Ironman races, had several top five finishes at the Ironman World Championships, and represented Canada on multiple national teams and at the Pan American Games. We spoke to Bentley about her new book, An Unlikely Champion, why she eventually went public about her condition, and why she considers having CF a gift. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, having me. We're going to talk about cystic fibrosis, your career as a professional triathlete and Ironman, and your new book, An Unlikely Champion. Let's start with cystic fibrosis. For people not familiar with the condition, can you explain what it is, how it manifests itself, and, and how it progresses? Cystic fibrosis is a genetic lung disease, and it causes an abnormal amount of mucus to be produced in the lungs and in other parts of the body, but it mainly affects the lungs and it affects the pancreas. Uh, the lungs would be the one that you'd you'd hear more because you hear people coughing. So you get an abnormal production of mucus, and it's a real sticky mucus in the lungs, so it's very difficult to get rid of it. And so what ends up happening is you get these chronic infections in the lungs. And the person with CF grows some pretty specific bacteria in the lungs, which is difficult to fight. The bacteria gets very smart, and it fights back against antibiotics. So you get this chronic cycle of lung infections uh, that ultimately decrease the uh, lung function, which is your ability to use oxygen and your capacity to breathe, uh, which can, can sometimes lead to lung transplant. Uh, but, you know, nowadays, uh, CF has great controls. They're so advanced with medicine and with detecting these infections and being proactive about infections. And so the life expectancy of a, of a patient with cystic fibrosis has increased dramatically. In the, in the 60s, I believe, life expectancy was in the teenage years, so maybe 14 or 15. And now the life expectancy is well over 40 years of age. And in the cystic fibrosis clinic that I go to in Toronto, Canada, uh, they have more adults now than children with cystic fibrosis, which is a, a, a wonderful thing to be able to say. And they have patients that are in their 60s and 70s. So 
while it's a, a horrible disease and it can lead an early death, it's also a, a very much a hopeful disease because the doctors and researchers are doing so much to be proactive and prevent the degeneration of the lungs, uh, which, which leads to lung transplant and death. People with the condition are generally diagnosed early in life. That wasn't the case for you. How was your health growing up, and, and how did you come to be diagnosed? Well, yes, um, you're typically diagnosed as a child, as an infant, actually. Uh, nowadays, they do screen you as soon as you're born for CF. I was not um, diagnosed until I was in my 20s, actually, and... I had been a sick kid, so it's interesting, you know, in hindsight, looking back, the pharmacist would say to my dad, you know, your daughter's been on antibiotics for nine months now. That's a long time. And my dad would say, well, you know, that's what the doctors told us to do. And, you know, my parents were working class people, and there was no drug plans. And and so my dad was literally taking his money from his paycheck and going to the pharmacy at the end of the week and buying prescription drugs for his three children. We all had CF. We didn't know that, but he'd buy our antibiotics and that was the routine. Uh, so I was always sick. I, uh, I think that doctors thought it was my allergies because we were allergic kids. And, uh, the, the normal routine in my family was that March break would come. I, as I said, I grew up in Toronto, Canada. So March is a really cold month. And we'd all be sick, and my mom and dad would throw all the kids in the car, and we'd drive south to Florida, and they'd throw us in the ocean. You know, salt water is very good for, you know, health to get you a bit healthier, healthier lungs, and throw us in the salt water. We'd swim for seven days, and we'd come back healthy. And that was just, you know, our routine. Uh, and then um, I was 20. My sister was about 23 or 24, and she went through a spell where she was coughing up blood and we didn't really know what it was. And the doctors tested her for everything from tuberculosis to cancer. Uh, and at, they couldn't find anything wrong. And so they said, well, this is a long shot, but we're going to do a test for cystic fibrosis. And the test is called a sweat chloride test because patients with CF sweat out an abnormal amount of sodium. And so they did what was called a sweat chloride test, and it came back positive. So my sister was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And, of course, because it's genetic, they tested all of us. And I have four brothers and sisters, and three out of four of us tested positive for cystic fibrosis. So, yeah, ironically, my brother tested for CF positive, and he had been having fertility issues. He and his wife couldn't have children, and that's one of the side effects for uh, men with CF is they can't have children. So it, uh, it definitely opened up a lot of windows, eyes, and doors for our family when we were diagnosed. Listeners may not be familiar with Ironman com competitions. Can, can you describe what these are? Ironman triathlon is, consists of swimming and biking and running. You swim 2.4 miles. Then you ride your bike for 112 miles. And then you run a marathon, 26.2 miles. Uh, that's uh, triathlon, and it's called Ironman. And that actually became my career, which is kind of ironic, considering you need your lungs uh, to be able to do sport and professional sport. But, um, yeah, that uh, was my passion. And when I was diagnosed with CF, I was already doing triathlon. And 
And but I was on, you know, indestructible. I was 20 years old, and if you were going to tell me I couldn't do something, I was going to show you that I could. <laughs> so I just kept at it, and uh, and you know, balanced my health and uh, with with my sport. How did you become interested in competing in such a physically grueling sport, even if you don't have CF, it's physically grueling? I know. <laughs> yeah, I loved running. I ran in high school, and uh, I was, you know, I can't say I was really that great at it in high school, but I, I ran, and it was social, it was fun, and then I went off to university, and I was living away from home for the first time, and I really wanted to make friends and have you know create my identity away from home so I joined the running team and uh, of course as a runner I got injured and so I would go swimming and biking to maintain fitness when I got injured from running and then I just met some friends and they said well if you're if you're going to hang out with us you got to come do a triathlon with us and so uh, my friend Mike Bain said let's go do a triathlon and so away we went and I, I thought this is fantastic what a great balance between between the body parts, you know, swimming, biking, and running, you're using your whole body. People are so friendly. This is so social. And I just, uh, yeah, I really loved it. And uh, <clears throat> so I was started doing it in university, and I just kept comparing myself to the to the best people. And, to, you know, as a, an amateur sport, you compete really against your age group, whether that be 20 to 24 or 40 to 45, and so I was doing pretty well for the 20 to 24-year-olds, and I thought, oh, I want to race overall. I want to race as a professional. And so that sort of became my, uh, my, my the bar I set for myself. Uh, I loved doing it. I loved training. I loved the people. And uh, I was still working full-time as a teacher. Uh, but um, after seven years as a teacher, I decided that I was going to resign from teaching and become a full-time professional triathlete. Well, when you decided to devote yourself to the sport, what, what was the thinking in that decision, giving up a, a career in teaching to become a, a professional athlete? Well, it's ironic because I had the conversation with my CF doctor. So I was going for my, my CF appointment. And, and by the way, exercise, as though it seems as if it would be counterintuitive when you have a lung disease, uh, of course, you'd want to take care of your child and coddle them and put them in the warmest jacket and make sure they never got sick. But exercise is really good for someone with cystic fibrosis because you are moving the lungs and you're actually able to expel the mucus. Because sure, 20 minutes on a stationary bike, not running a marathon. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And but, but anyway, the CF clinic was very happy that I was exercising so much and and. Um, but I was working full-time as a teacher, so that was kind of the bad part because now I was, like, working so much as a teacher and working so much as an athlete, that would be pretty bad for my immune system because you're just overworked and tired. And so I remember going in to see my CF doctor, and I was sick at the time, and and uh, she said, I think that you need to resign from teaching. And you don't have, you only have one opportunity to do this. And I had just come home from an event and I had done pretty well. And, uh, she, she said, you know, you're getting up every day at 4.30 in the morning. You're going swimming and then you're teaching all day. Then you're training again at night. You're marking papers. You're going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and you're doing it all over again. And I think that you should devote yourself 100% to this and see if you can be the best that you can be and then go back and be a teacher again. <laughs> 
And so it was, I, I can picture the conversation right now with Dr. Tellis at St. Mike's Hospital. And, uh, so I resigned and, and I thought, well, we'll see what I, you know, we'll see what we can do. I had some sponsors. I had had some good results and, uh, but I had not yet won an Ironman. And so I resigned from teaching in 1999 and I won my first Ironman in the year 2000. So that's a, and, that's uh, a point I missed in, in the book, but it, it's an interesting suggestion that, that teaching is, is more challenging to your health than, than being an Ironman in, in, in the exposure to, to all the different germs. Absolutely. It's, uh, there was always, you know, kids are always bringing something to school and you're always touching and you're, you know, sharing pens and opening door handles and doorknobs and things. So yeah, it was, uh, my health improved a lot because now I had a bit more balance day to day. And of course I could control, uh, you know, do a bit of infection control as well. Uh, of course it required a bit more travel and airplanes, which was never good, but, uh, but we, you know, we did the best that we could. Early in your career, you were quite private about your CF. At first, you didn't tell your coaches, and when the Canadian Olympic Committee wanted to push the story about your CF, you, you at first refused. Why was that? There was a couple of reasons. I think probably the, the easiest thing to blame would be to say, well, when you talk about me having cystic fibrosis, you're talking about my family because it is genetic. So it would be some common knowledge that my other siblings may or may not have cystic fibrosis. And and that's pretty personal, and especially was personal for my brother because he could not have children. Uh, he and his wife wanted to adopt children. And it's very difficult for a person with CF to adopt a child because birth parents choose their adoptive families. And as soon as birth parents find out that one of the potential parents has cystic fibrosis, the red flags go up and say, and they say, well, we don't want someone who's going to die to adopt our child. So it's a, um, a double-edged sword. So I had to be careful of my family. But the, the main reason that I wanted to keep quiet about CF was at that stage of my career, I had not yet developed my, uh, my, my career as a as a great athlete, I was, I was a good athlete and I felt that if I made it known that I had cystic fibrosis, I would artificially become a great athlete. I would become a great athlete because I had CF as opposed to I would be a great athlete because I had won races. And I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I didn't want to have uh, built in excuses and I didn't want to become famous because I had cystic fibrosis, and I did kind of okay in triathlon. So I held back from letting anyone know. I wanted, first of all, to build my career as, a, as an athlete, and then, then it would be okay for people to know that, okay, this woman's won a bunch of races. You know what? She's got cystic fibrosis. I wanted that to be the side story. So it was, it was difficult. It was a difficult decision to make. Uh, but there was, a, you know, many interviews that I didn't do because they wanted to focus on CF. And I said, no, I want you to interview me because you think I'm a good athlete, <laughs> not because I have a good story. Uh, and it wasn't until later that I realized, wow, you know, I have, um, there's a reason that I have CF and there's a reason that I'm a successful triathlete. And that reason is a platform 
to bring hope to families with CF. And once I realized that and I had the maturity to realize that that was my purpose in a sense, uh, my career became incredibly fulfilling and I had, um, I had purpose in every swim bike run moment of my day. One of the things that changed your attitude was in 2004 when you ran with Tracy Richardson, a mother of two children with CF, she began the Breath for CF campaign and competed in the 2004 Iron Woman World Championship. What happened and how did it change your attitude towards your relationship with the disease? I, I met Tracy and her kids in New Zealand. I was there racing at Ironman New Zealand. And Tracy had, at this time now, I'm, I'm a bit more vocal that I have CF. I've won a couple of races, uh, Ironman events. And Tracy contacted me that she wanted to drive from Napier down to Taupo, the location of Ironman New Zealand, to um, to meet her children and just to chat. And so I met them, and it was wonderful to meet her family. The kids, of course, hated that they had CF. They were quite unwell. And just to be clear, there are different mutations of cystic fibrosis, and some pe- some children and adults are very, very unwell with CF, and some, like me, can manage the illness a little bit better and uh, for whatever reason. And Tracy's two children, McKenna and Cameron, were, were very unwell. And I met them, and it, uh, that, that meeting was wonderful because I could share with the kids how, how fortunate they were that they, they got to do therapy every day and they had antibiotics today. Because, of course, they hated that they had to take enzymes with their meals to help with digestion and that they always had to do these breathing exercises and that they had to take antibiotics. And and I was trying to explain how that's such a gift that there's actually a way to stay healthy. And, and we chatted. And then Tracy, of course, she's a mother of two children that will very likely die of cystic fibrosis. And she's frustrated and helpless and and that was when she decided that she was going to race her first Ironman to raise money so that kids with CF would have access to sport. So she wasn't going to raise money so that for a cure, there was enough people doing that. She was going to race to create funds for sport because the antibiotics that you have to buy for cystic fibrosis cost a lot of money. And at the end of the day, parents don't have any extra money to put their kids into field hockey or basketball or track or anything. And yet sport is so important for kids with CF, of course, for the empowerment principle and to make you feel like you can do anything. But it's also so important for kids with CF to do sport because you're moving your lungs. And so the mucus can be expelled. And that means the bacterial infections can't set in. So it's so important. So that's what she was going to raise money for. And so she did Ironman New Zealand and then was invited to the Ironman World Championships in Hawaii in 2004. And so we, she was the backbone of that fundraising, Breath for CF. Uh, but once she went to Hawaii, we then partnered up there because she was the amateur that was racing for her kids with CF. And I was the professional athlete with CF that was going to race alongside her. So it was pretty powerful and it was, uh, it, it, you know, it changed, it changed my life <laughs> because 
I really could see the purpose of my life was to bring hope for CF uh, and, and help with this campaign and, and raise awareness. And so I had this incredible dream that I was going to win this race. You know, we we're going to both do this race, the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, and we're going to raise a ton of money for CF, and we're going to see Tracy racing for her kids with CF, and then I have CF. I'm going to go and win the whole darn race, and I'm going to show people that you can do anything you put your mind to and that CF can be fought, can be beat, and it's hopeful, and we're all going to live, and we're all going to find our lung health, and, you know, and then I ended up getting sick <laughs> the week of the race. And so it was... uh uh, you know, it was a very difficult race, but um, I, I called the St. Mike's Clinic back in Canada, which is my CF clinic, and I was so sick, and they put me on antibiotics, and I did everything I could to get healthy, and, and I certainly felt sorry for myself, and that I, that, you know, I was in the shape of my life, and now I was so sick, and, and then I remember a couple of days before the race, I saw Tracy, and I just broke into tears, and I thought to myself, you know, shame on you, Lisa. You're afraid you've got a chest infection, and you're sick, and you might not win this race. But Tracy has two children with a terminal disease, and you are so lucky, Lisa, that you get to do this race. You're so lucky. Anyone with CF would just give anything to be able to be on the start line of the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, and you get to be here, and you're you know, I immediately changed my mindset and it became all about being the best person I could be on that start line with cystic fibrosis and with a chest infection and just being the best that I could possibly be as I was. Not wishing to not have CF, not wishing to not be sick. I accepted I was sick. I accepted I had CF and I was just going to be the best darn person out there with cystic fibrosis. And I can honestly say it was probably the best race of my entire career because the perspective was changed. And um, I didn't cough all day. I didn't feel sick all day. I just went out there and smiled and raced. And I ended up coming fourth in the world. And, um, and, and Tracy raced, and she got to the finish line, and the campaign raised $800,000 for CF. So it was, uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful day in sport and, and it, for me. You talk about coming to view your CF as being a gift. How did you come to view your CF as a gift to you, and why do you feel that way? Yeah, it is a gift because it gave me purpose. And if I didn't have CF, that world championship that I came in for would never have happened. It would, I would have got to that start line just like any other person without that purpose. And whereas I got to that start line, and I just knew that me racing meant that I was squashing all the uh, negativity associated with CF, that I could rise above this, and that I was going to show that we all might have, you know, any, all of us have something. We all have, um, you know, our own baggage or our own illness or our own misconceptions or preconceptions, whatever they are, but you can rise above them and, and so for me, CF was a, a huge blessing on that day. I just kept thinking about McKenna, and I thought about Cameron, the two children with CF. I thought about all these children with CF that um, that are out there that just would wish so badly to have this opportunity, and I had the opportunity. And so I wasn't going to throw it away. I had I had to use it as my platform for hope. 
And so those days where you can rise above defeat, in a sense, that's what CF allowed me to do, was to be grateful beyond grateful. And, in, and of course, there's no denying that exercise helps keep my lungs functioning well. And I'll never forget when I retired from professional sport, my CF doctor said, you know, your lung function is going to probably go down. I said, what? What are you talking about? She said, well, you won't be training as hard. You won't be exercising your lungs as much. So you're probably, your, your health will probably decrease in a sense, and, um, which is interesting. So while CF is maybe without CF, maybe I would have won more races and I would have won the world championship instead of coming in fourth, but it doesn't really matter because it gave me such an outlet and brought me, I get to bring joy to families and, uh, achievement without fulfillment is, is, is failure. So achieving 11 Ironman wins is, is a wonderful thing, but I have brought, I had so much fulfillment with those Ironman wins that came from the fact that I had cystic fibrosis and I knew that it would bring hope to families. One of the things I hear from people with chronic conditions is how they learn to listen to their body. Your career, to some extent, has been about not listening to your body, about <laughs> transcending the things it's telling you. I'm thinking here not only of your cystic fibrosis, but everything from your heel problem to running with a burst appendix. <laughs> not, not to take anything away from your achievements or your inspiration to others, but I'm wondering if coaches, parents, doctors, or spouses ever yelled at you for doing stupid things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was definitely some eyebrows raised, for sure. Uh, the When I went in for that emergency appendectomy, they they said, I don't know how you ever got to you know, three or 2.4 miles swim and a 112 mile bike. And I only got to 10 miles on the marathon before I stopped. And the mind can definitely elevate the body. There's no question that the mind can elevate the body to do extreme things. That's what so many people do every day. And I mean, I would say on even a lower level, we just forget about athletics. Parents who bring their kids to Disney World or Disneyland that go all day long and their kids are firing on all cylinders and everyone's crying and screaming and happy and joyful and parents are accommodating and taking care of their kids and loving them. That takes a lot of energy and that's a parent's love for their child that is elevating themselves to be able to handle that. And you talk to any parent and they'll say, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I raised those kids. I don't know how I did the Disney World thing and, and all of that. But their, their love for their child trumped everything it didn't matter that they were exhausted it didn't matter they had may have themselves had a cold or something they wanted to bring their kids to disneyland and they did that and and that allowed them to be great parents and it's the same for an athlete i know my desire to be the best that i can be was you know elevated my body to do some you know somewhat crazy things there's no question i ran through injury i ran with a burst appendix uh, and was able to elevate my body. And that day when I raced in Hawaii with a chest infection uh, with Tracy Richardson, there's no question that I was really sick and I should not have raced on paper. But I always say that the the mind can, the mind, uh, the resume goes out the window when the mind takes over. Uh, but yeah, there was, I, I did have, uh, I did have to learn 
that there's a big difference between being super fit and healthy. And healthy is, I wasn't healthy some years, and that was, you know, racing with that burst appendix. I didn't know it was burst, by the way. <laughs> I just knew I wasn't well. <laughs> and that uh, that was not being very smart, not listening enough. That was putting my sport first, and that wasn't smart. And it's interesting because now that I'm retired, I'm a much better listener to my body. And two years ago, I had a collapsed lung. And I probably only knew I had a collapsed lung because I am an athlete. So I didn't really notice much walking around. I didn't notice it just going about my normal daily activities. But I went swimming, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm really out of breath swimming and then I was on my bike and I thought you know I think my arm's going a bit numb I don't feel right and that made me call my doctor and I went in for a a CT scan and it came back that my lung was collapsed and had I not had sport I probably would have let that go for weeks and never gone to the doctor Uh, so in, in in my sport is also you know I can tell when my lung function drops and I can tell when there's a difference between just a scratchy throat and having a chest infection. And so, you know, my, there was in 2010, my lung function dropped from 100% to about 85%, and then it dropped to 80%, and it dropped to 75%. I felt all those drops. And because I felt those drops and went to the doctor, we were able to get in and, and um, you know, start a course of antibiotics and try to prevent further damage and, and drop of lung function. You read the book to motivate people, not not just people with CF or other diseases, but for people in all walks of life to help them transcend their circumstances and, and be the best they can be. What do you hope people take away from the book? I, I want people to have tactics for wonderful living, uh, to have courage to be able to make changes so that they can they can be wonderful champions in life. And and that might be a champion parent or a champion doctor or a champion lawyer, teacher, custodian. It it really is, is meant to empower people. And, uh, you know, I, I list, I coach athletes, I coach people, I I life coach people and uh, they'll tell me about their day and, and I'll hear the structure of their day. And it's interesting. One of the easiest bits of, Three bits of uh, uh, information I can give them is the first one is to get up early and do the things that are important to you. Do them first when you're not distracted and when you're fresh. And and that's a characteristic of a high achiever is they get up early. Uh, I I recommend that people write things down, that you journal, that you have like a little notebook to yourself uh, that might depict things that you do in your day. Uh, and, and ideally create an asset list. So list of things that you have going for you. We, we often feel defeated and all of us can sort of, we, we have choices during the day and we can sit down and say, Oh yeah, my day was horrible. I missed the bus. I got up late. I, um, you know, I, they were out of chicken at lunch. I had to have something else. And, I had this meeting I wasn't prepared for. And we'll go through all the bad things in our day. And we're very, very good at pointing out the bad things. But then we need to look at the good things that happened in that day as well. 
And, and there can be the most subtle things. And when we list our assets, like I'm loved, I have a roof over my head, I have a university education, I can be empathetic, I can listen to people, I smile at people, I have food in my stomach, I have a family. Uh, when we look at all that, we realize that we're less defeated than we ever thought. And we have so much going for ourselves. And I think it's really important, especially in this age of social media, to think about our assets because it's easy to feel bad at yourself when you're reading all this stuff on social media about how great people are. And, and so mo now more than ever, we have to sell ourselves to ourselves and tell our, be our own biggest fan. And so those are just a few things that I, I find myself telling people on a daily basis when I hear, you know, struggles that they're having. And, and those are, those little tactics are really tactics of of a high-performing athlete. And those were tactics I had to do every single day. Before a race, I would list my assets. I would list all the reasons why I would be successful. And they weren't just I run fast, bike fast, swim fast, or I train hard. They're things, like I said, like I am loved and I can smile and I have a roof over my head and a university degree. Like those are things not going away. It doesn't matter if I come in first or I come in last. So those were things that would keep me grounded while I was racing. And I always kept a journal so I could go back and I could see my workouts. I could see what I did on certain days and be empowered by that. Or I might see a workout that didn't go so well and I could realize that life went on or I got stronger just by virtue of actually doing that very difficult workout. And I also got up early. I got up early and I did my training when I wasn't distracted or I'd get up early to do different bits of work. Uh, when I was a student, I would get up early and study. So when I want, when there's important things to be done, you get up early and you, and you get those done. So, yeah, my message, I mean, there's so many messages, but I look at it as a resource book for people that um, are looking to be their best self, and they're just looking for that little bit of information to help them to get the most out of who they are. The book is An Unlikely Champion. You can find it at lisabentley.com. Lisa Bentley, Ironman champion, motivational speaker, and author. Lisa, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.